and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want to begin, I want to continue the series that we started last week entitled Who's Kidding Who? And, and, I, and I want to make this statement as I did last Sunday. I want to make it again this Sunday. It would be very easy for you to be in here this morning, and if you're someone who you're an empty nester, or maybe uh, maybe you you're uh, at, not at the age that you have children yet, or maybe God has called you to a life of singleness, and it'd be really easy for you to go, great. We're in the midst of a series entitled "Who's Kidding Who." I, I really don't have any responsibilities for children, and so this sermon does not apply to me. Let me gently, yet passionately correct you. Because when God's Word talks about the raising of children, He is not speaking to simply a parent, but He's addressing a nation. And it is our responsibility to raise up the next generation. It's our responsibility as individuals. It's our responsibility as a church. It has been often said we are only one generation away from the reality of God being obliterated from the planet. Friends, that is always true. I believe the opposite. I believe this. I believe that God is raising up a generation that is going to take this world for God. And there, there are so many evidences of that. There are, there are so many supports of that. And, and listen, while much of this next generation is rejecting the traditional, the traditional church, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because I think it's, it's time for the church to be shaken to its core and it's time for us to get back to that which God has called us to do and to be. And so I, I think that's a, 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 very, a very good thing. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, here's what, here's what God says uh, to Moses and says to us through Moses. I, I want you to, in fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this with me. Are you ready? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and who? To their children after them. I love this. There's a number of things I love about the scripture. I love the fact that it tells us this. Don't let them, don't, don't let these things your eyes have seen, don't let them slip from your heart. Here's what you'll find. Every time you deal with the commands of God, it always starts with the heart. Every time God speaks to us about the direction we're supposed to go, it always starts with the heart. Why? Because more than anything, this is a hard issue. And we're challenged to understand that. My grandfather, a number of years ago, went to be with the Lord. But he was and remains one of the heroes in my life. My grandfather was a, a quiet man. He, he worked in the meatpacking plant. He worked for Oscar Mayer Foods in, in Davenport, Iowa, uh, which the good news is we got 
discounts on Oscar Mayer products. The bad news is he told me uh, what's in Oscar Mayer products. And, and, and when, that, when that package says all meat, it's true. You just need to ask yourself where the meat came from. That's all. Grandpa worked lots of hours, and uh, he worked most Sundays. But he'd work all day on Sunday, and then he would go to church Sunday night. I, I didn't go with him very often. In fact, nobody in the family went with him. He, he went alone to, to this little Baptist church just outside of, uh, of, of Davenport, Iowa, Hillcrest Baptist Church. And he would go there, and he... He faithfully served. He was married to a woman who was antagonistic towards the things of God. He was married to a woman who did tarot card reading and held seances in her home, my, my grandmother. He, he lived in a world where drugs and alcohol were given to his grandchildren by his wife, by my grandmother. He was not the strongest man in the world. He found it tough to stand up to my grandmother, but, but he held on to God. And there was this, this quiet strength about him that, that pulled me in. And so I loved hanging out with Grandpa. I loved spending time with him. And he loved to tell stories. And, uh, and he, he always had a story to tell. And full disclosure, most of his stories you heard over and over again, right? And I'd get into the car with him, and, and he would be, we, we would barely be out of the driveway and heading down the road, and he would be, let me tell you a story. He'd say to me, Butchie, that was my nickname growing up, Butchie, don't I look like a Butchie to you? Doesn't that fit, Right? Pastor Butchie, I mean, that just, I, 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 there's, a, there's a ring to that. There, there's, there's a sense of respect that comes with that name, Pastor Butchie. And so, uh, anyway, he, he would say to me, he would say, Butchie, he goes, let me, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about when I was back in Korea. And, and he, would, he would tell the story, and, and he would paint the picture with, with such um, imagery. And, and he was so wonderful with word pictures that, that he could put you in that place. But after a while, I knew the story better than he knew the story. Oh, I was, I was gracious. I was careful not to laugh too soon, and I was careful to laugh just enough at the humorous parts to where it appeared that I was engaged. I, I, would, I would show dismay over the, the tough things that he would tell me, the tragedies that he would talk to me about, to, to at least give him the impression that I was, I was learning some valuable lesson. I, I, I attempted to honor him in the moment. But his stories, they, they quickly grew old. In Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. In fact, take your Bibles and turn there. Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. God gives his children this instruction. He says this, Love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. Keep his decrees, his laws, uh, and his commands always. 
Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. They did not, they did not experience his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arms, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to this whole country. They didn't see what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you and, and how, the Lord brought, uh, how the Lord brought you and, 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 and kept you, right? And how he brought lasting ruin upon them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place. It wasn't your children that, that saw these things. They've not experienced them for themselves. So God says this, live your life in such a way that your children can have the same experience with God that you experience. Because simply telling them the stories is not enough. I have... I've been on the mission field and, and, and I've watched... As God has shifted the weather, undeniably, as God has shifted the weather, as a, as a massive storm approaching an outreach suddenly split and went to one side and the other. How there was violent wind and destruction all around us, and yet in the place that we were doing this outreach, all was calm. It was without a doubt the hand of God. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. I've I've laid hands on the sick and, and seen them recover and, and seen them recover from infirmities that are evident to the eye and gone with a prayer and an anointing of oil. I, I've, I've been at the altar when somebody who was demon-possessed experienced radical, life-changing deliverance. I, I've, I've seen these things with my own eyes, and, and I, can, I can tell the stories to my children. And they will be appreciative. And they will be honoring. But while the stories can be an encouragement to them, those stories often are not life-changing. It's only when we experience it ourselves. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that too much of the church today is struggling because we are living our faith in the rearview mirror. And we tell the stories of the good old days while sitting complacent in the present. Let me say that again. We tell the stories in the good old days while sitting complacent in the present. I want you to look at what, what God instructs the children of Israel and, and prophetically what he instructs us today. Deuteronomy 11.8 says this, Observe therefore all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give them and their descendants. This land flowing with milk and honey. 
The land you are entering to take over, it's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated, irrigated it, and you worked it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. That the eyes of the Lord your God are continually on from the beginning of the year to the end of a year. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, remember what I told you? His commands always start with relationship. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine, and oil. I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Wow, that's a powerful statement. There will be all these things that will vie for your attention. There will be all these things that will vie for your affection. There will be all these things that will vie for, vie for your loyalty and your time. Be careful because it will be so easy for you to be enticed away by other things. This is a generation that God is speaking to that has an understanding of what it means to be in slavery, to be in bondage. This is a generation that saw the Red Sea split in two and millions of people walk across that sea on dry land. Their adversaries coming behind them and once they were all safe and their adversaries in the middle of the sea, the sea closed in on their adversaries. They saw this with their own eyes. This is a generation that saw God miraculously meet their need as he provided manna, food from heaven, every day. They had experienced the things of God in a profound way, and yet God says this. He says, listen, you have to be very careful to these guidelines that I've given you, this structure that I've set out for you, these rules and regulations that are designed not to hamper you, but they're designed to be guardrails for you to where you are not enticed away by these things that will come your way. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the church today is a generation that has been enticed by many things. And God is crying out to the church. He's calling to the church that it's time that my church be once again filled with the Spirit. It's time that your home, once again, be filled with the Spirit. It's very important because this generation and the next generation needs to experience a dynamic expression of God like the church experienced in the past, but is not so much experiencing today. He is the same God with the same glory. And it is his expressed intent to do the same thing. Why, why then are we not seeing that expression of God? We talked about that last Sunday. We talked about the hindrances of seeing a spirit-filled environment. This morning, I want to talk to you about how we reposition ourselves, how we foster a spirit-filled home, how we 
foster a spirit-filled culture. And, and this is important not just in your physical home, it's also important in your spiritual home. It's important that we embrace this not just as a nuclear family, but it's important that we embrace this as a spiritual family as well. And that we're passionate about this issue of living a spirit-filled existence. That we're passionate about this issue of having a Christ-centered home. That we walk in the Spirit and that we live by the Spirit. Because when we do that, when we live by the Spirit, what we'll find is this. We, we will not be pulled away by those issues of the sinful nature. Right? And instead, what we'll do is we'll walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The Word of God says there is no limit to that. There's no limit to this spiritual fruit that it's available to us if we walk in and if we live in the Spirit. And, and, and God's Word shows us how to do that. And, and friend, let me offer this to you. It's not a difficult thing. The task that God has called you to, the life that He's called you to live, the walk that He has for you, it's not a difficult walk. The Word of God says this. It says that the walk that He has for you is a narrow walk. And while it's a narrow walk, it's not a difficult walk. And, and, and here's the reason why we know this. Because He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Right? He empowers us. He enables us for every good thing. And his presence is our promise. So he walks with us. But back to verse 16 of Deuteronomy 11. Be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then the Lord's anger will burn against you. And he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Look at what he says here in, in verse number 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts. There it is again, right? That issue of the heart. It starts with the heart. But once, once it's settled in our heart, and, and here's, here's been my experience as, as a pastor and as a fellow Christ follower. Here's what I have found. I have found this, that most people who consider themselves to be Christians, most people who call themselves Christ followers, They've, they've got a good heart. We've got a good heart. Oftentimes, it's not the issue of the heart where there's the breakdown. It's moving beyond the issue of the heart to active engagement. I, I, I meet very few people, even people who are faithful CEO Christians, right? Christmas and Easter only Christians. Those, that, those of you that are watching, uh, watching this on television or watching via live stream on your, on your computer, you, are, you, you want the presence of God. You want the love of God in your life. You want it in your home. You want it in your family. You want your children to know and understand God. And it's, it's not so much a, a heart issue. It's a habit issue. It's not so much a, a heart challenge. It's a, it's a habit challenge. That's the reason why when, 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 when God talks about the churches in Revelation, right? And he says, he says this about one of the churches in Revelation. It says, here's, here's what I have against you. You've lost your first love. You love me, but I'm not your first love. And, and it has to be an issue of, of, of placing God first. 
Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. How, how do I foster a, a spiritual climate in my home? How do I foster a spiritual climate in my family? The first thing that I do is this. I have to manage my mind. And he says, I, I want you to remember these things. I want you to remember these principles. I want you to re remember these things that I've called you to, the, the life that I've called you to. I want you to fix these words of mine in your hearts and on your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Let these principles be evident in everything that you do. It, it echoes what Paul says in Philippians when he says this. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on those things. Right? That, that's what uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 4. And he says this, if you do that, then the God of peace will be with you. It, it's this issue of, of managing the mind. And we allow all of these different Influences to come in and manage the mind, don't we? We're, we're, not, we're not meticulous about our media intake. We engage socially in environments where activity and conversation is questionable at best. Oh, I, I'm not, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not suggesting that the church gather together in a holy huddle. Because while the word of God does say, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will come unto you. And while the word of God does say, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character, that is balanced by the reality that we are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That we are to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. It's an issue of closeness. It's an issue of proximity. See, I have to to manage my mind. You know what I recognize as a parent? I have, I have a 21-year-old daughter and I have an 18-year-old son. And what I recognize as a parent, I recognized this some time ago, and, and even though my daughter is 21 and no longer living in the home, my son is 18 and preparing to, 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 for college this fall, my job as a parent, um, I, I'm, I'm still in the midst of that. And, and, and will be for as long as, as I have breath in my body. I, I still, I, I'm never done with this responsibility that I have of parenting. And I recognize that there are all these voices and all of these issues. And it's all about influence. And the Bible says this, it says that I'm supposed to be a light. I'm supposed to be the salt of the earth. Value, light, influence. You are the light of the world. And I'll tell you where my world starts. My world starts in my home. My world starts with my family. And then it reaches beyond there. It's the reason why the word of God says this. It says that, that the man of God should not stand in the pulpit and preach if he cannot manage his own household. Because the light starts in your home and it, and it shines out. And I'll tell you what I recognized early on. I recognized that all of the voices and all of the imagery that is available to my children, that it is so much bigger than I could ever hope to be. But here's what I also recognize. If I go out into the night sky, 
I can stand there and I, and I can see these stars and I can see the brilliance of these stars and recognize that some of those stars are a hundred times, a thousand times brighter than the sun. And yet, you know what the bugs are attracted to? My front porch light. Why? My front porch light does not have near the brilliance of that star. Here's the key. They're attracted to the light that's not the biggest. They're attracted to the light that's the nearest. And I don't have to be the brightest bulb. I've been accused of not being the brightest bulb. Here's what I have to do. I simply have to be the light that is nearest. So this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. To influence my children and my children's children. That's, that's, the, that's the next part of developing a, a spirit-filled home. It's, I, I manage my mind, and the, the next thing that I have to do, I have to, I have to mentor my child. Teach them to your children. Talk about, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I love the detail with which God goes into explaining, listen, I want your children to know these things. My grandpa would tell stories. And he told the story so much that I could quote them word for word. He didn't tell those stories just to pass the time. He told those stories. He wanted me to understand the horror of war. So he would talk to me about all that he experienced in Korea. He would tell me about the challenges that he faced in the workplace. And he would regularly tell me, he would say, Butchie, life is about so much more than packing meat. And each one of those stories, even though I, I heard them over and over again, each one of those stories, every time he told them, they had purpose. But it wasn't the stories that had the biggest impact. There's an old Irish proverb that says this. You have to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather is. It was the quiet strength with which my grandfather faced life that spoke volumes to me. I watched as he responded in grace when people mistreated him. I watched how he relentlessly held on to God. I saw the greatest sparkle in his eyes when he would talk about moments when he would be reading the Word. He, he would read through the Bible multiple times a year. And he would talk about how when he would be reading the Word in the very presence of God would appear in that dining room with him. And what was interesting about that is even during the times of my most rebellious teenage years, when you 
looking at me from the outside would have said, that kid is serious trouble. There was this spiritual appetite within me that was a result of what my grandfather had modeled to me. Because he didn't just he didn't just talk about it. It was woven into the very fabric of his life. And that's what, that's what mentoring is. Mentoring is more than instruction. It's more than explanation. It's, it's modeling. I want my children to be worshipers, not because I tell them that they should. I want my children to be worshipers because they, they see a dad who worships, who passionately chases after God. I want my children to be people of prayer, not, not because I tell them it's a, the right thing to do. But I want them to see me on my knees. I want them to see me on my face before God. Dedicating all to Him. I, I, I want my children to be tithers. I, I, I want them to have a generous spirit. So, so I, I want my children to, to see me as a giver. Because I know the difference that will make in their life, how it will push back against issues of selfishness, how it'll, it'll cause them to look beyond themselves and, and, and it will cause them to count on God for their supply, not on earthly resources. I, I want that for my children, but, but my children won't get that if I don't, these principles that God has, that if I don't fix them in my heart and in my mind, Right? If I don't teach them to my children, if I don't talk about them when I sit at home and when I walk along the road, when I lie down, when I get up, if I don't write them on the door frames of my houses and on my gates, it, it has to be a substantial part of who I am. Friend, your children, your grandchildren need to have more than an hour and 30 minute encounter with God every week. have to. Look at what it says, verse 21. I, I, this is, it moves me. It says, starting, I want to start back in verse 20. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so. Okay? If we do this, here's what happens. So that your days and the days of your children. So that your days and the days of your children. Say that with me. So that your days and the days of your children. One more time. So that your days and the days of your children. What? That they may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. As many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. I recognize this. I recognize that I'm responsible for the destiny of my children. There was a, 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 a season of my life when I was in high school where I was homeless. And uh, 
facing a pretty tough situation. And there was a family that, that adopted me in. They did not know me. I had been to their house twice. Their oldest son was in the same grade in high school as me. Um, he was the really smart guy. Um, I was the guy who was hoping that he would help me somehow get, get through calculus. And he, was, he, was, he took pity on me and was willing to help me and willing to do so. And God spoke to them and said, this troubled kid, you need, to, you need to bring him in. I'm giving you the responsibility to be his parent. For 35 years now, 34 years now, they've been mom and dad to me. We share no DNA. And yet, where it talks about in Deuteronomy that we are supposed to impress these things upon our children, right? We're supposed to live our lives in such a way that there's a permanent evidence of that in our children. If you could see beyond the natural to the supernatural, you would see impressions upon me. Impressions that have been left by a mother that did not give birth to me and yet loves me as her own. You would see impressions upon me by a, a father who, even though they really did not have extra, when I, when I moved in with my adoptive family, I had two brothers that were sharing a 10 foot by 10 foot bedroom. I was the third person in a 10 foot by 10 foot bedroom, which would be overwhelming to some, but you gotta remember I'm the 12th of 13 children biologically and so I'd never had my own bedroom in my life. I, I thought I was spacious, but. As I, as I find myself growing older in ministry, I was, I was at an event uh, not too long ago and I was, I was talking to uh, another pastor and, and just uh, affirming him. He, he shared something that I thought was really exceptional and I said, man, I want to tell you that I appreciate that. And, and he, he looked at me and he said, he said, you know, Ed, he goes, thank you. He goes, you know, this isn't the first time in my ministry experience where one of the older ministers have said something affirming to me. Now, he was paying me a compliment. At that point when he said that, I wanted to punch him in the throat. Older ministers? What is wrong with you, punk? You're not that much younger. Well, yeah, he's 20 years younger than me. So, uh, But I love the fact as I get older than in this that there are There, there are men and women that are in ministry that, that God has, has called me to father them and, and, and there's an impression made upon them, right? A mark that stays. And we have that responsibility. Listen, 
Those of you that have experienced the power of God, those of you that, 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 that have an understanding of the transformational work that the Holy Spirit brings, you can't live your life reminiscing. Because understand this, that God wants to continue to pour out His Holy Spirit. Part of the problem is, is you keep telling God to do it the way He did it in 1987. And God is saying, I don't want to do it that way because I have to reach a new generation. And you keep trying to put God in a box saying, God, this is the way you did it back in the day. Remember the choir? Remember the spurlows? Remember? And God says, I remember all that. Let me tell you what I want to do today. And this generation that's rising up, they did not have that experience. And, and, and they need to experience the presence of God as you experienced it. And listen, that will happen as you engage. Well, I would engage if they bring back, bring back the choir robes. Come on, folks. I just went from preaching to stepping on toes, didn't I? We could probably find a choir robe for you. If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow. Look at this. There it is again. To love the Lord your God. It always comes back to relationship. It always comes back to worship. If I manage my mind. If I mentor those whom God has entrusted me, those, those children that God has called me to be an example, to be an influence, to be a light to. If I'm consistent in my walk, if I maintain my walk, and then model true worship, here, here's what the result is. Here, here's, here's what the Word of God says in Deuteronomy. It says this, If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from, from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the, on the whole land wherever you go. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way that I commanded you. And turn by following other gods which you have not known. God never changes. And this challenge that he's given us to manage our minds. To be very careful about what we allow into our eyes and what we, what we allow into our minds and what we allow ourselves to think and, 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 and what things we dwell upon. If we recognize these vital relationships that he's given us, some of them biological and the responsibility he's given you to train up your child, but some of them not biological but spiritual, the, the people that he's brought into your life that he's called you to be an influence to. 
That he's in essence, and that he's in, in essence entrusted to you as spiritual children. We, we have to be in the business of mentoring people. All the while maintaining this walk that he's called us to. Why? Because what we do is so much more important than what we say. My grandfather on his knees had a much bigger influence on me, even as a rebellious teenager, than all of his stories. And then living this life as a worshiper. Let me tell you what I see. And I don't say this as a cheerleader. I say it because I believe it. You are in a church that isn't about to. It already has begun to enter in to an amazing season. And what God wants to do that is genuine and real in your life and in the life of so many who are wandering and wondering, questioning, yet searching. Man, what God wants to do is it's it's undeniable. And it's big. But friend, here's what he's calling you to do. And this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Some of you, you're here, you know what? And you are trapped in your past successes. And you're convinced, well, life, the best part of my life is in the rearview mirror. Maybe it's a, a career success. Maybe it's that touchdown that you scored in high school 40 years ago. But you're trying to live in that former glory and and while we appreciate the story, we can't connect with it. And when you tell the story, we'll affirm you because we value you. But it doesn't really influence us. Some of you, you're, you're imprisoned by your past failures. And, and you're convinced that those are your identity. And God's word says to you this morning, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Well, we've got a group of guys over here that there are a lot of people that would love to have you walk in an identity that is all about your past failures. God has never done that. It's not the character of God. It shouldn't be the character of the man of God. It shouldn't be the character of the woman of God. It shouldn't be the character of the church. Some of you are, are caught in a past encounter with God. And, and, and you loved the way that God did that. And, 
and you're consumed by the formula rather than the result. And here's what I want you to notice. If you open up your Bible to the first page, to the very first scripture, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created. Let me tell you what we can learn from that. That God is creative. You know what that means? He doesn't have to do it one way. And so, if we'll simply live what we sung earlier, God, I surrender all. We can experience God in a new way and in a greater way than we ever have before. And this new generation of seekers can experience God for the first time. Hello. It's our pleasure to bring the ministry of Calvary Orlando into your home through the Calvary Connect television program. We would love to hear your feedback as a viewer. We encourage you to email us at tv at calvaryorlando.org. Let us know what you like or what you don't like. We would especially love to hear stories of how Calvary's ministry has helped your faith or enriched your life. Thank you so much for being a part of the Calvary family through our television ministry, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us for Calvary Connect. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for our Sunday morning worship experience each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We are located right off I-4 at 1199 Clay Street. To connect more with Calvary, visit our website at calvaryorlando.tv. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for watching and God bless.